let's get underway with our first speaker, Philip Boyce. Philip, as I'm sure you're all aware, is a world-renowned expert in both ballistics and tool marks. Many of you who will have seen his contribution to the 2012 documentary, Bamba, the New Evidence, that was made with Mark Williams Thomas. And today he is going to look at both some developments in the case since then, but more particularly uh, about the Bain case in New Zealand, uh, which is the subject of a, a forth, forthcoming TV drama. So uh, pay attention because uh, that will give you some background information when you come to watch that uh, particular drama. So, handing over to Philip. First. Thank you. I feel like I'm at school again up here. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> My wife always says to me, uh, wear your glasses because it makes you look intelligent. <laughs> but anyway, what I was going to talk about today was 3D printed guns, which is an interesting subject, but we're going to keep that for September. But just to whet your appetite, and as I pass things around, I would like them back, please. Last week, I printed this. And if you look at it, please, Bert, you will be hard, it'll be hard to actually, hey, to find that from, from a, a real manufactured one. Having said that, that was printed on a, on a 3D printer that cost £13,000. Got lots of goodies. Yeah? This is the plastic barrel for a Glock pistol. It is actually rifled. Again, I don't like being up here. I should really get down there, but then. And this is what happens when you fire it. You only get one shot, but that one shot is still going out at a hundred odd foot pounds, which is more than enough to kill you. So one shot is all you need. And in actual fact, by firing that one shot, you've actually destroyed the evidence. Please don't open it and take the bullets and stuff out. <coughs> 3D printing again has, has become so sophisticated that I've now been able to print that barrel out in titanium. And the 3D printer that I used to do that is probably a quarter of the size of this room. And it costs something like £200,000. But anyway, are you all familiar with the Bain case? No. no? Well, you will be in a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Where are you? Where's your USB?
Lots of goodies. Unfortunately, it's not a really big screen, but uh, whenever I bring some of the other stuff out, you can actually have a, have a closer look at stuff. But both in both the Bain... Take these off. I don't need to look intelligent anymore. In both the Bain and Jeremy's case, the rifles were all 2.2 caliber. And again, I don't know if you're familiar with the size of the bullets in the cartridge cases involved. These are some examples. And a lot of people think that such a little bullet will not do you any harm because they are quite tiny, but they are devastating. You can actually see there's spent cases and fired bullets in that. And because I couldn't really bring proper firearms here, because you're not really allowed to have proper firearms in a public place, I've actually got the two muzzles of two rifles. And that'll actually show you the actual size of the hole. And if you look down it, if you hold it up to the light, you can actually see the rifling in it. And also, I don't know if you know... There was some controversy about the knurling on the silencer that was used in Jeremy's case. This, this is the exact make and model of the silencer used. And you can, you can play with them, but you can see how easy it is to fit to the end of the rifle but it adds another six inches and that plays a part whenever you're trying to shoot yourself or not. That's all the metal. There's still more goodies. Can't really see it, you know, it's much better in the, the computer screen here, but uh, David Bain, obviously. 
And again, the appeal summary. He's always maintained that after he, he returned home, he found his entire family dead. His father, 58, mother, 50, sister, Ara, Laniat, 18, and his brother, Stephen. He was only 22, and <coughs> he actually called the emergency services at 10 past, virtually 10 past nine, saying they're all dead, they're all dead. The police initially treated the scene and the incident as a murder-suicide. Very similar. Same caliber. This is the father, you can't quite see, but he has one gunshot wound there. Also, controversially as well, the magazine sitting beside him was actually sitting upright on the carpet, and, and people said that couldn't happen. And hey, it had been planted there by the murderer <coughs> in tests, dropping a magazine from this height onto the ground. Two out of ten times it stayed upright. <coughs> Crucially, there's a computer in here, and Robin Bain was standing beside this curtain, and note the chair there. The rifle's lying there. Said two days after it, they were still considering, was it a murder-suicide? And the officer in charge says there's a lot of work to be done. Don't rush it. Better to proceed at a reasonable pace, i.e. slowly. Did they? No. The police arrested and charged David two days later. And 15 years later, the Australian uh, Supreme Court judge said that the police did rough did rush the investigation and handled it so badly they made so many errors. Didn't help as well that two weeks later uh, David agreed that the, his, his local fire brigade could burn the house to the ground, completely destroying the, the, the house anyway, not the evidence because there was a rifle and everything. May 1995, he was convicted on each of the five counts and sentenced to mandatory life. But mandatory life in, in New Zealand is different than the UK, and minimum 16 years before parole. After failed applications, uh, his legal team and this campaigner, a man I, I now know very well, old black player called Joe Karam, who was essentially funding the, the appeals. And he actually was funding the appeals by writing books about, about the actual case. He's actually written, I think, four books. And 
I feature in three of them. On, not unlike the, the book that I featured in, in Belfast, when I worked in Belfast, I, I managed to, to get the evidence to actually put a senior IRA terrorist into jail based on gunshot residue evidence. And whilst he was in jail, he wrote a book. And he called me that bastard voice. I was only looking at the evidence. It was on him. Anyway, the Privy Council said there was considerable doubt that he would have been convicted if the evidence that they, the police had actually discovered had actually been put to the jury in the first place. An awful lot of the evidence wasn't actually given to the jury. And they concluded a substantial miscarriage of justice had occurred. They quashed his convictions and ordered a retrial. And that's where I came in. I actually give evidence at the retrial. I don't know if any of you have seen me on YouTube, but uh, my, my wife, she wasn't my wife then, she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I didn't realize that the TV cameras were actually in the court, which has actually only, only been established in the UK something like two weeks ago now that they're allowed it. So by the time I actually arrived back at the hotel, my, my now wife had seen me given all my evidence and critiqued me nicely on it. Didn't wear my glasses enough. After serving... 13 years, he was granted bail. And he, he was actually put in the custody of Joe Karam uh, for the trial. I was invited out to a restaurant with him and Joe Karam for a meal. And I actually thought better of it. Because this was during the trial. And me being me, I would have asked him the question. And what would he have said? And if he had said the wrong thing, even in confidence, I, I was duty-bound to tell the court. So I decided, no. Just in case. That's Joe Karam uh, with David Bain. Quite a famous man. Old black player. 6th of March 2009, he pleaded not guilty. The trial actually lasted for three months. I was actually out there for two weeks. One week in court and one week was holiday, for want of a better word. Interestingly, he was found not guilty on all five counts of murder, as it couldn't, couldn't be proved. And he lodged an application for compensation. In New Zealand, it's the law is slightly different and you've got to prove that you're not guilty before you can get compensation and all the evidence essentially was gone so he could never prove that he was not guilty however the government really kept on at them so much broken broken record needle you know kept going kept going kept going and in the end Effectively, to shut him up, they gave him 925,000 
dollars, which is equivalent to about half a million pounds. You divide, you divide that by 13, it's, it's a decent salary for each year, but it's, it's not way over the top, not way over the top by any means. There's nine points that the Privy Council were given, and this wasn't actually given to the jury in the time. Robin Bain's mental state He's characterised as balanced, devout school principal. And David was, was so-called disturbed, obsessional and bizarre. Then comes along new evidence. Three, three of Robin Bain's teaching colleagues. He said he'd been seriously depressed and had real concerns about his mental state. Look at the parody with the Jeremy case. Sheila's mental state. Really, <laughs> Robin Bain had allowed the publication of brutal and sadistic stories written by his children in school. What sort of a mental... Well, you can never tell what, what goes on inside a person's head. But if, if, if you're teaching young kids and, and they're coming out with brutal and sadistic stories... You've got to stem that right there. You don't encourage it. No motive. No plausible motive. Although uh, the prosecution argue, argued that uh, David and Robin had over, argued over a chainsaw. Is that enough to kill somebody? You'd be surprised. I've, I've seen somebody killing somebody else for the sake of £10. But really, hey, they, they actually think that Robin Bain had actually snapped. And really, here, here's the, the big one that the jury didn't see. The 18-year-old girl had actually said that her father was having sex with her. Incest. The jury didn't hear that. Four new witnesses and, and really give testimony, uh, give supporting uh, the, the allegations of incest, not revealed to the jury at the time. We're heading the right way, but we are too. Sock prints. I don't know if you know about those, but it was, it was claimed that the, the long-blooded sock prints belonged to David Bain. But his feet, the, the sock prints were 280 millimeters long. His feet were 270. When, the, when they actually measure, Robin Bain's was 270, sorry. But uh, after the trial, David Baines was 300. He couldn't have made those. Robin Bain could. Switch on time. That computer behind the, behind the curtain. Really, uh, he went out at 5.45 and he got back about 
The computer was six, switched on at 6.44. Who switched it on? Whoever switched on was the killer of Robin. But Robin had actually typed the message on the computer. You were the only one who deserved to stay. And then, did he or did he not? They accepted the new evidence that the computer had been switched on earlier or later. And really, uh, the judge should not have reminded the jury that, that that was a key prosecution point at the first trial. I know it's a lot death by PowerPoint, but there is some, some nice pictures and there's a few more things in here. <coughs> really, really at the trial, David got home closely connected with the arguments whether the computer was turned on or not, or the timing on a computer can be funny as well if it's not set right. <coughs> but really... David could have got home a little earlier, shot his father and turned on the computer. Whether he did or not uh, has, been, has been now, you'll see the evidence, is, is really, you know, could Robin Bain have shot himself? And at the first trial, the pathologist holds the rifle out like this and he can't reach the trigger. If you're going to shoot yourself, you're not going to hold the rifle out like this. You're going to lean over. Nice chair in front of you, beside a, beside a nice curtain. We'll get on to that in a minute. Really, uh, at the Privy Council, they were presented with the evidence that the witness made a second statement, suggested her perceptive on, on timings was more accurate than the prosecution claim, but... Complete, the complete evidence wasn't presented and she was never cross-examined. So, iffy at the, at the best of times. Who owned the glasses? It was always said that one glass lens, those glass lenses belonged to David Bain. It went in actual fact, again, I won't read it all, but really the, uh, the eye specialist actually hey, conceded that those glasses belonged to David Bain's mother and not him. And he was actually shown a picture of, of her with them on and he agreed that he actually prescribed them to her. Almost a red herring. <coughs> Left-hand lens was, was lying there and I said exposed position, consistent with it being dislodged. But look, it's lying there. It's covered in dust. It's underneath other articles. It's been there a while. That wasn't revealed. The bloody fingerprints on the rifle, and that's, that's not a derogatory term, is really, okay, they're David's, Hey, bloody fingerprints on the rifle. Whenever DNA was done, the blood wasn't human. And David agreed that he'd actually, he'd been out shooting possums. It was, it was probably animal blood. Nothing to do with the incident. DNA is a great thing. 
if you've still got the evidence. <coughs> this gurgling business. Gurgling. When David, when David actually found them, he said his sister was gurgling. And that was construed that she was still alive. Totally wrong. A dead body can gurgle an hour after death just because of the, the passage and the release of, of the air. And that was actually formally proved. The phenomenon post-mortem gurglings really, really has been told by experts and pathologists can take, take for a period of time. E even many hours after the incident, even at the, at the post-mortem, a body can gurgle and make noises, which is a bit unconcerning if you're actually standing in the post-mortem room and one of the bodies goes bleh or whatever. But it's just the release of air. Or really, a summary of police mistakes. Failed to in investigation, investigate Robert Bain's mental health and the allegations of the incest. They destroyed a lot of the evidence. They misled the jury. We're pointing the finger. And really how I was asked to look at it. I was actually tasked to look at all the ballistic evidence. All the bullets that were recovered. The rifle. <coughs> ammunition. And really I, I took possession of all the ballistic items including the rifle. And the same ammunition. The... the New Zealand police actually provided me with the same ammunition. Really, when I say that in itself was interesting. In UK in the law, Joe Karam and a police constable flew to the UK, flew to Heathrow. But as soon as they landed on the ground, they were breaking the law because they were in possession of a firearm without a suitable license. So what I had to do, I had to go to Heathrow Airport and be escorted airside out to the aircraft by two armed police and take possession of the whole lot. And I, I was walking back through Heathrow Airport <coughs> with this aluminium case <coughs> which said firearm and, and other bags with two armed police on either side of me. And the people inside the airport were giving me some funny looks. <laughs> and believe it or not, eh, I've had to do it again. Because whilst I was out in New Zealand, I was given another case. And I had to get that rifle to the UK as well. But it was two different policemen. But same thing. And when I'd finished with it, I had to actually bring it back to Heathrow, go our side again and hand it over so that they could take it back. Really, I went to a court in Christchurch, and really, I give evidence for one week. I've got a better picture of this. You, you can actually see it in a minute. But this is actually the gunshot wound on Robin Bain's head. And this is one at 25 to 30. And at 25 to 30, there's lots of little pickles further out. Whereas here, they're really close. That tells me, without a, a shadow of a doubt, that that 
entrance wound is close range, if not contact. As I said, the pathologist, if you're going to shoot yourself, you're going to hold the rifle like that? No. But they made me hold it as well. I couldn't touch the trigger at that point. Too long. But you're not going to do it that way. You're going to do it like that. Look. Nice chair. Even the, the silencer or sound moderator is fitted to the rifle. I am able to actually physically pull that trigger. Can you give me a pull? Philip. Sorry, can you help me? Because I've got a bad back, I can't pull too much. Can we? He's probably quite heavy, is he? That's probably enough. Can everybody see him? I was going to ask for a volunteer, but I got one anyway. <laughs> this is the same headset that I had in Christchurch. And that shows you the trajectory. I was able to put the rifle there and able to go click. I also played a good trick as well. The, the council... Uh, I wanted one of council to actually do this. And they said, no, 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 it looks better if you do it. So I said I'd do it. I cleared the rifle probably three, four times to make sure it wasn't loaded, it wasn't loaded, it wasn't loaded. And then I took my jacket off, looked at the jury and said, just in case. <laughs> and they all laughed like you've just laughed. And at that point in time, I knew I had them on my side, for want of a better word. So I actually proved that Robin Bain could have shot himself. And subsequently, David Bain was released. Uh, not just on my evidence, but uh, on, the, on the evidence of a UK pathologist and a UK biologist as well, who looked at the, the blood out. Aspects. <clears throat> and happier times now. 2014. Believe it or not, he married one of Joe Karam's daughters. And they're now the proud parents of a boy and a girl. And they had a lovely wedding. Do you know how I know that? Because I was there. And they paid for our flights, paid for our hotels, everything. I had another holiday. Escape. Not quite finished. Again, you're more than welcome to look at this. This is actually part of the jury pack that was actually given to the jury. In, during the trial, and I, I managed to acquire it, for want of a better word. It's got really good graphics, but this one, if you look at it, when I pass it round, you can actually see the pickling much clearer in the photograph. 
And I've also got a collection of newspapers. Whilst we were there, we thought it was fortuitous, for want of a better word, to, to buy newspapers with what was going on. second page. I didn't make front page headlines, but never mind. Does every, everybody agree that the prosecution are unbiased in their duties towards the court? Well, my last little bit of the story. This says trigger within reach, that's the defense case, and in the front of it, it actually says the jury <coughs> may get another demonstration. So you're more than welcome to look. So what actually happened was after I had finished all this, they said, uh, <coughs> We have a policeman who's exactly the same size as Robin Bain. We want to, you to put him in front of the jury and uh, garb him up with a headset and see if he can touch the trigger or not. What did I say? No. I said, I'm, I'll go with your ballistics expert into a side room and we'll do it there before we do it in front of the jury. So he, my, my arms are 14 centimeters shorter than Robin Bain. So <coughs> in comes this policeman, tall policeman, I measure his height, exactly the same height as Robin Bain. Put your arms out. He's four centimeters shorter than me. And what the prosecution actually did was they went through all the policemen until they found a very tall policeman with very short arms. And had I actually agreed that that policeman went in front of the jury, he couldn't have reached the trigger. Obviously, the defense really, really, really played on that one. That's about me. Uh, if you have any questions, please shout. Sorry, say again. Yeah. It be basically the. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. The jury was thrown out. And the judge decreed that, that the policeman evidence wasn't admissible. <coughs> End of story. And then the jury were told to ignore the fact that they were not getting a second demonstration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Sorry, can you speak up a little bit? It's 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 not, it's not that I can't hear you, it's just that I'm slightly deaf. I've fired, I've fired too many shots in my time. Is he 
And thank, th thank, sorry, thankfully it's my left ear because my, my, my guns are normally on the right-hand side. But I always make my wife sit here. <laughs> sorry. Yes, yes, totally. I, I'm, I'm, in, in my own mind, I'm convinced she shot herself. And, and again, if you know the ins and outs of it, one, one wound was contact and the other one is three inches. If you're actually sitting on the ground, I won't sit on the ground, but if you're sitting on the ground with, with your neck up like this and you shoot yourself, you'll fall back and you can shoot yourself again. I've seen... Over the years, I've seen numerous times where people have shot themselves more than once. I actually had a British soldier, believe it or not, shot himself 20 times. He just emptied the magazine. He was dead after the first shot. And believe it or not, he had, the only time I've seen it in my life, he had instant rigor mortis which is very unusual. And it's, it's not really rigor mortis, but it's, it's really the, the muscles have just tightened up. And he was actually still sitting in the field with the rifle under his chin, stuck. And we had, we had to actually bend his fingers to get the rifle off him. One of strange... You see, you, you think you've seen everything and then all of a sudden you see something else. Sorry. When you say you've seen that before with the double um, wound, uh, yeah. Could you tell me how many times you've seen that? I've actually lost count, but uh, since I, I started working in '84, and since then I've probably come across at least 50 occurrences, at least. Which is probably work, works out at 1-2% one, one, of suicides. I've even had strange ones where, a, in, in one case, where a police officer took his own life inside the car. And he'd actually left a suicide note. And he used a revolver. And the revolver had a chamber that took five cartridges. Or five, yeah, five cartridges. And he took four of them out, only leaving one. And he shot himself. But after he shot himself, he actually pulled the trigger again. So the spent cartridge case was in the wrong place. And whenever I was called to that scene, I, the police were very suspicious that somebody else had done it. But thankfully, because of the blood splatter and stuff around his hand, he, nobody else could have done it. Right, any final questions for Philip? Good. Well, thank you, Philip, very much for that fascinating talk. You're welcome. <laughs> As I said, I want my bits back. <laughs> yes, if we could uh, retrieve those for Philip. So you're all going to be forearmed when you, with the inside story when you come to watch the David Blaine drama on TV. Yeah. Oh, as, as an aside, uh, 
I know the David Bain drama is going to be televised, but the, the company actually uh, contacted me. I didn't give them much information. I gave them the basics. But you would not believe how much they offered me for this and that jury bundle. If I'd have said yes, I could have had a new car. But I said no. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to do something to help Jeremy Bamba, then sign our online petition to the Home Secretary for the disclosure of case documents that are still withheld by Essex Police. Visit www.change.org and search for Jeremy Bamba. Don't forget to share the link with your friends and family. Yeah.